so very good to be back with you this evening. I appreciate your attention to the lesson this morning, and I appreciate the uh, opportunities to be here both this morning and this evening. And I wanted to say thank you to the McKibbins for hosting me this afternoon. I know I can get pretty wild there between services, so uh, it was their job to make sure I didn't get into too much trouble uh, in between then and now. If you would please go ahead and open your Bible. The first passage we'll be looking at is Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And while you're opening your Bible to Genesis, I know we spent a lot of time there this morning. We'll be, we'll be there very briefly this afternoon. But I want to ask you a question. And that question is a very simple question. It's one that everyone who is a Christian or, uh, or, or throughout time must ask themselves, and it will be a question that, that no matter if they know the answer or not, they will be asked it. And that question is, do you know God? Do you know God? And the reason why that's an important question is because of some of the things we're going to talk about here in a minute, is because God is a creator. God is the one who we serve. If we're Christians, we know that. If we're not a Christian, we may not know God in the way that a Christian does. We may not know God in the way that we should. And so just to start the, uh, the lesson, we'll, we'll talk about a few attributes of God. The first attribute I thought of when I thought of, of, uh, of God was, uh, was, of course, there's a song that we sing about in, in the supplement. I don't know if y'all sing it very often, number 64. Uh, but that God is loving. And that song, basically, I think it says love like some like a hundred times in that song. Uh, because God is love. And, and if you look at Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 in verse 18. So this is after the passage that we read this morning where God created the earth. He created man. He created Adam. And he recognized that Adam was alone. In verse 18, the Lord God said... It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. What the man called a living creature? And that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at the place. The Lord God fashioned into, the, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. So this is the first recorded interaction we have between God and Adam, and, and God recognized from the beginning, you can tell that God loves man. Not in the sense that he loves us in the world's definition where he wants us to do whatever we want and be, just be happy, quote-unquote happy, as the world would define it today. But God recognized that Adam was alone. And that it was not good that Adam was alone. And so since, since the beginning, God has loved us. And I think uh, the, 
and I, as I was sitting there as we were singing the song, I, I thought of First uh, John chapter four. First John chapter four and verse seven. It says, "Beloved, let us love one another, for the love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God, and knows God. The one who does not love." does not know God, for God is love. So John here says, not only is God loving, but God is love. God is the ultimate form of love. The second aspect that I thought of God was He's merciful. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We'll begin there in verse 6. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. And just for a little bit of context here, Paul is talking to Christians in this passage because he puts himself in, this, in, the, in the, uh, the we here in verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Having much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, we now also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So God is not also loving, which Paul says in this passage also, which I think is, is great. He's also merciful. God did not have to put forth a plan of salvation for us. He created this world. He gave us dominion over the, the land and, the, and, and all the beasts and all the animals. He could have just said, well, y'all need to figure it out now. But God is merciful in that He gave us this book. He gave us this revelation that we could figure out a way or that we could learn a way to be in a, in a right relationship with Him and to remove sin from our lives. And He did this not while we were on His side, not while we were doing the right thing. He did this when we were in sin. And every one of us that has put on Christ has to recognize this, that we were in the transgression. We, were, we had transgressed God. And he put forth this plan. He sent his son to die for us, his enemies. And now we're on his side. The third attribute I thought of was Genesis and, and the creation. And we, we've already read that this morning. I don't want to take your time by reading that again. But everything that God created, there's not a thing that I could think of that, that God didn't create in the first chapter of Genesis. Well, the second chapter as well, he created, created woman. But in those two chapters, everything that was created was created by God. And also I think it's powerful for us to read Job chapter 38. Job 
Now I've lost my place marker here. Just bear with me a moment. Just for a little context, at this time, Job has, uh, he's been listening to his friends a little bit too much. And they tell him, the reason why you are in this poor state, because he's lost all his family, he's lost all his possessions, he's come down with sickness, and, you know, God has let the devil basically take every physical thing that Job has away from him. And his, his friends have, have almost convinced him that God should, should answer, should, should give Job a reason for all these terrible things that have happened to him. And this is, this is God's response to that question. In verse 38, and starting in verse one, or chapter 38, starting in verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you will instruct me. So just, just a little bit of interjection here. He's not asking Job to answer him. He's, this is a rhetorical question, right? Who's, who's going to answer God, right? Um, but beginning back in verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements, since you know? Or stretched a line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors, when bursting forth it went out from the womb? When I made a cloud its garment, and thickness and thick darkness its swaddling band? And I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors. And I said, Thus far you shall come, but no further. And, there's, there, and here shall your proud waves stop. So, in, and, and God goes on for, like this for another chapter and a half. Of all the things that, that he's done that Job has, knows nothing about. And we don't either. Were we there when God created the earth? No. Were we there when he put the stars where they were? Were we there when, when he, you know, divided the sea and the land and created animals and created man? We weren't. So just, this just shows God's immense power, his all-powerfulness that he can create and sustain the universe. And he created us as well. But with that, God is also long-suffering. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. And so Peter, Peter in, this, uh, in this chapter, or in this letter, uh, basically is warning Christians about false prophets. And there are some that, that are, there were some at this time, and there are some in our time that say that Jesus already come and he's gone, or he won't ever come. And the reason why they say that is, well, he hasn't come yet, right? He'll never come, he hasn't come yet. This is what Peter's response is to that in verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, 
but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You know why he's not come yet? It's to give us time. Give us time to get it right. Give us time to become his servants. Give us time to be in a right relationship with him. What good would it do if, you know, 10 minutes after Jesus was resurrected and then he comes again? No one has time to be saved. No one has time to change who they are. No one has time to proclaim God's glory and to, to be better people, to be more like God. And so this, this is something that, you know, makes me think about, you know, I think sometimes we, we wish, you know, Lord, come quickly because we're, you know, this is a terrible time. And, and I, I believe that's, that's a true thing to say. But he's going to come when he's going to come, and it's not because of anything that, that we do, but it's when, when he wants us to, or when he wants to. God is also wise. Turn over to uh, Psalm 119. The 119th Psalm. One ni- Psalm 119, starting in verse 104. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So you think about these two, even though they're, they're split up here by two, uh, two different um, uh, Hebrew words here, the, the thought carries through between 104 and 105. So from, from God's word, we, we gain understanding, we gain wisdom, we figure out how to, to go through life, how to serve God, how to, to serve our fellow man, how to serve our fellow Christians. And then he illustrates that like a lamp to your feet. You ever walked in your, uh, in your house at night with the, with the lights off? I do that a lot because I'm too lazy to turn the lights on, so I'm afraid I have to turn them back off and like stumbled over something or stubbed your toe or or if you're a farmer like me and you catch yourself on the tongue of your truck and you realize that you know that's what it's there for is remind you you've got shins right um if you don't have a light how would you know it's there the only way you would know it's there is if you hit it right if you if you get pain if you do the wrong thing you mess up god's word keeps us from messing up. It's wisdom. And every God's word is is wisdom for serving him, it's wisdom for how we treat each other, it's wisdom how we treat our spouses, our friends, our fellow Christians. It's wisdom for all things. And the last thing I thought of when thinking about the attributes of God was God is just and pure. Turn over to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. And this is part of Joshua's last request 
of the, the people of Israel. And, you know, he's been with, with the, the men of Israel from their time in the wilderness. And, and then uh, they've just got to the land of Canaan and they're, they're conquering the land. And Joshua says, you know, I've, I've taken you as far as I can. Now you guys got to figure it out. And this is what he tells them starting in verse 14. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one word of the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled to you. Not one of them has failed. It shall come about that just as the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. So we see in this passage that not only is God someone that's wise and long, or a, a being that is wise and long-suffering and powerful and merciful and loving, but he's also just. When people do wrong things, he punishes them. When people do right things, he rewards them. And this is true not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament, throughout the whole of eternity. This is how God is. But he is also pure. And the reason why that is, is he does not accept the things that he says are wrong. He's not going to say, well, you know, you did almost everything, so you're good. It says here, all the threats, not just the ones that we want to take seriously. And that's the reason why God is pure, because he doesn't make exceptions. He doesn't make excuses. And so that's why he's the perfect judge. That's why he is just. So I've talked to you about all these attributes of God. Why should we know God? And one of, the, one of the first things I thought of was probably the most famous passage in the Bible, John 3.16. And I could probably, you know, we could all probably recite this from heart. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, I think sometimes we, we read in um, Romans chapter 5 about part of this that God sent Jesus to us. God sent an avenue to us that while we were His enemy, He sent His only Son to be killed on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And I think sometimes we overlook that. I think sometimes we don't Think about that like we should. And also, if you have time, 
Read Isaiah 53. Um, It's got, got some really good things about... Actually, let's just go there right now. Isaiah 53. Start, let's just look in, looking in verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself, this is talking about Jesus, he himself bore our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Let's Skip down to verse 10 just for the sake of time. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great. He will divide the plunder with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he, he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So where it talks about the sin of many, where it talks about the transgressors, that was us. That was where we were at before we knew God, before we knew Christ. And so that's why we should know God. In addition to that, he wants us to rely on him. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. Starting in verse 1. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you are angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So in this passage, Isaiah is telling us that God can be our strength. He can be our song. He can be who we rely on when things are tough. Or even when things are good. I think sometimes we're quick to, to say, well, when, when times get hard, let's, let's think about God. We need to think about God when times are good, too. We need to think about God always and give thanks to Him because His wrath has, has been turned away from, the, from us if we follow Him, if we make ourselves right with Him. And it makes us more like Him if we know God. Turn over to Psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. It's a psalm of David. It says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin 
against you. So if we know God, if we know God's word, we treasure that in our heart, we make that a part of who we are, and we don't sin against him. And in that same point, it keeps us from sinning. I think about uh, Joseph. Turn over to Genesis chapter 39. And in this passage, Joseph has, has been betrayed by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery in Egypt. He's from in a faraway country. He has every reason to fall into sin. And yet when sin looks, you know, is right there, this is what he says in verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. Therefore, there was no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great evil and sin against God? You know why he didn't sin? It's because he knew God is just and God is pure. And if he sinned, if he did this great sin, he would be in a wrong relationship with God. And that terrified him more than anything that Potiphar or the Egyptian justice system could do it to him at that time. And he was, you know, imprisoned for it, for this response. But in the end, God takes care of Joseph as we see later in Genesis. In addition to that, Daniel chapter 1, in verse 8, and this is a similar situation. Daniel's far away from home. He's just been taken into captivity. The, the Chaldeans have utterly destroyed uh, Judah, and they've, they've conquered Jerusalem. And this is what Daniel says when, or this is what Daniel does when given the opportunity to sin, even though he's so far away from every good influence he ever had. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So Daniel made up his mind. I, I, I think this, this is an accurate translation of, of, of the, the passage. But in, in, uh, in the King James Bible, which I grew up studying, I think it makes a lot deeper point. It said that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. You know, I, when I was a kid, um, I used to sit around and listen to my grandparents talk or my parents talk, talk, and they would always say, well, he just has his heart set on that. You know what that means? No matter what's going to happen, he's going to, get that or he's going to do that and so Daniel had his heart set on serving God on making sure that he was doing the right thing towards God why? because he knew God he knew God was loving and merciful and powerful and long suffering and wise and just and pure and he knew no matter where he was whether it was in Jerusalem in the temple or in Babylon in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar, he was going to serve God, whatever that looked like. And so the last thing 
Why should we know God? This will be the last passage. Turn over to 2 Timothy 1, 12. Sorry, I was in 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. For this reason, I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day. In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing a letter to his son in the gospel, Timothy. Paul is in prison. He sees the end of, of his race. Paul and Timothy are both running the, the, the race. And Paul sees his finish line coming up. So this letter is to Timothy to encourage him, to help him throughout the rest of his life, to stay on the path, to keep running. You know why Paul could continue to preach the gospel? You know how he could continue to write letters even while he was in prison for doing that very thing, being a Christian? Because he knew God. I know whom I have believed. Do we know whom we believe in? Do we know God? You know, I, I think about, you know, my, my parents or my father or my mother, you know, if you truly know your family, you know what, what's going to happen if you mess up. You know, like if, if I got in trouble in school, I knew that when I got home it would be so much worse and what anything they could do to me at school. And so I tried to behave my best when I was in school because I knew my parents. I knew what they expected of me. And I knew what I had to do to stay in, in their good graces. And the same thing is true of God. We can know we are saved. We can know that we have heaven waiting for us when we pass because we know God because God keeps his promises because we have entrusted to him our soul he will take care of us because God is loving God is merciful God is powerful he is long suffering he is wise and he is just and pure and those are not all the attributes of God there are many many more we could be here till as we would say up home, to the cows come home, talking about the attributes of God. But if we just keep these things in our mind every day, every hour, remind ourselves, I know God. I know He sent a Savior for me. It can change our lives so easily. Instead of dwelling on the things that are around us, Maybe our jobs aren't what we thought they should be. Maybe our relationships aren't what we think they should be. But let's get right with God first. And then we can work on those other things. If you are a Christian, maybe you don't know God like you should. Please speak to one of us. Come talk to me. Come talk to anybody that you feel comfortable talking to. Another Christian. About knowing God better. If you aren't a Christian and you don't know God, 
and you would like to know more, talk to us as well. I would be happy to, even though I've, I've got to drive home tonight, I'd be happy to stay here till midnight and talk to you about God because I know God and I know what he's done for me and he's done for you. And I want to share that with you. But if you're ready to come forward and be baptized, you can do that now as we stand and as we sing.